Welcome to the Culture Classroom, a podcast for teachers and coaches by teachers and coaches. Listen to top leaders, innovators, and influencers share their stories about how intentional culture elevates performance. Now, here are your hosts, John Weaver and John Torrey. Let's get better together. Joining us in the classroom today is Matt Merritt. And Coach Merritt, thank you so much for joining us. He is the running back coach at James Madison University. We are super excited to have you in the classroom. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Glad to be here. Really appreciate you guys for uh, for bringing me on and everything that you guys do for the coaching community. Oh, man, Coach, this is uh, we're on our 15, 15 month anniversary, I think, of this of this journey. And uh, man, what a you know, it's fun to talk X's and O's, but it's also yeah. get inside the mind of a coach and how he builds culture and how he intentionally builds culture with his position group inside of a team and how he builds uh, relationships with his kids. So. Very excited to hear um, about things that you've done in the past and stuff that you're doing now at James Madison. Yeah, definitely looking forward to, uh, to, to talk about it some more. You know, I think it's really important in the day of COVID-19 how a lot of us have lost our purpose right now, right? We're in this great unknown of spring sports are gone, summer sports are on the verge of being gone, football in the fall with a big question mark. So it just, it's really important to connect now more than ever because how we've done things throughout our whole life leading up to this point is totally different now. Yeah, it really is. And uh, I mean, thank goodness for technology. You know, um, I know the Zoom stock prices have gone up over the last month, the amount of people have been on there, but it's been really great. And there's a lot of people around the country that are running these Zoom sessions um, for coaches to be able to come on and connect and I'm sure we've all made new connections just virtually here, and you know some of those connections will you know will, will last a, will last a lifetime. So it's definitely exciting to be able to do this um, and stay connected and try to keep some kind of sense of sanity, essentially. <laughs> yeah, I'm watching the thing uh, there. I was on ESPN this morning about how they're going to do the NFL draft and how they're going to do mm-hmm. it virtually, and um, how Goodell was saying that he misses he's going to miss hugging the guys as they hand them the jersey and stuff like that. So I think we're going to lose a sense of that personal touch that we've talked about in, in earlier episodes. Uh, but the connection piece, I think we're being able, as a coaching community, to reach coaches that we've probably never thought because of our busy lifestyles. We've actually yeah. had to press pause, and now we can kind of just relax and meet with people and talk with people and get to know people more on a personal basis because we have all this time now. Yeah, no doubt. That's, that's, that's spot on. I mean, just to be able to – half time because the one thing you know for a fact right now is everyone is home you know so it's not like you know i'm busy with this we sure some people have their virtual staff meetings still stuff going on but you know everyone is home and it's been easier to be able to find time to do things you normally can't yeah yeah well uh let's get started in the classroom a little bit and tell us about your coaching journey so coach Merritt, what's your why? How did you get started in coaching? I know you've got a really interesting back uh, story as far as your dad and it's in your blood a little bit. So tell our listeners a little bit about how you got started coaching. Yeah, so kind of to, to take it even a little bit back further before I started coaching. I, I grew up over in Germany. I was born and raised over there, not a military family. Um, my mom was an international student, went to school here in the States, met my dad and got married and moved back. Um, so I actually grew up, a, a Big soccer fan and soccer player. I played soccer my entire life, you know. Um, and then uh, when I moved to uh, uh, when I was 11 years old, I moved to Belgium and went to an international school there. And they had a football team. And I always heard the stories from my dad 
um, playing. Every time he came and visited the States, um, especially Springfield, Ohio, he played there at Wittenberg University. You know, we'd go to their old church and all the old timers were there and everyone just kept talking about Dave Merritt this, Dave Merritt that. And, you know, that, that's my dad. It's my hero. So I've always admired that. I've always enjoyed football. I'd never knew anything about it. So I started playing because of him. And then uh, what's unique about me starting where, where I started playing is um, we, I had this coach. His name was Rob Stewart. He's the head coach there. And, you know, he had a really influential, uh, a big influence on my life. Um, not as a player back then and now as I look back on it as a coach, really how I coach and how I go about my business. Um, and, uh, you know, um, so when I fast forward now um, to starting my coaching, college coaching career, I was playing at Capital University, D3 ball. You know, I knew probably by my sophomore year that or junior year that I'm not going to the league, you know, is outside shot. And uh, my, my mind started changing towards coaching. I've always enjoyed the coaching aspect. I've always enjoyed the mentoring aspect. And uh, it kind of starts swirling around in my mind, finish playing, uh, had an extra year of school left. So I just asked my coach, my position coach, I was like, hey, I'm still here in school. I don't have eligibility left. Can I help? You know, and they kind of brought me on as a, essentially an undergrad assistant and uh, kind of started going there. And, uh, you know, really, when I thought about the reason why I really wanted to get into this and what my big why is, is the mentoring aspect. And it goes back to the people who've had the impact on my life, you know, starting with Rob Stewart, my, my high school head coach, and then really my middle school principal, um, he had a huge impact on me. Um, quick side story, when I was in middle school at, and, and when I was at the school in Belgium, I actually got expelled from school doing dumb stuff, you know. And um, Dr. Crowley, who was my uh, middle school principal, you know, instead of having the old you know, Dodge of kick him out and be done with him, really worked with me and my buddy who also got kicked out with me and really mentoring us and trying to, to help us kind of get through it. And they actually gave us a second chance at the end of the school year to reapply to the school and get back in. And I was able to get back in and really changed my life. So when I look back on, you know, him and my head coach and a couple other people had such an impact on, on my life and really are the reason why I've been able to make it as far as I have. I've always wanted to be able to give back to that. So when I got into coaching, the whole thought process, like, all right, I want to be able to give back, become a mentor, um, and start from there. And then on top of that, I, you know, I went to school for undergrad teaching. And uh, um, I went to undergrad for teaching, excuse me, was a seventh grade middle school teacher for three years while I was coaching high school football at St. Charles after I left Capitol. Um, and, uh, again, all of that was kind of rooted in me wanting to be a mentor and help help young men grow. Um, and then from there, went to St. Charles after Capitol, was a running back special teams coordinator there for two years, really got my feet wet being my own position group coach, um, was able to help with special teams as well. And then that's back when we could, the high school coaches could work the summer camps. So I was constantly over um, at, uh, at Ohio State, because the high school I was at St. Charles was in Columbus. So I kept going to the, the camps, kept working there, met the coaches, met Stan Drayton, and uh, just stayed in touch with him. Did my best to impress as much as I could at the camps. Worked really hard. Great energy, great effort, you know. Um, and uh, was able to have an opportunity to jump on their staff as an intern to start with and then work my way up to GA. And uh, those, those three years at Ohio State, they're 13 of 15. And we won the, uh, the first college football playoff national championship. And uh, those, those three years really kind of honed in everything I've 
always wanted to do as a coach, be as a coach, had all these ideas kind of flying around everywhere. How do I organize it? Those three years really helped me kind of bring everything together um, and kind of get a, a clear vision of what I wanted to be and do. And then I uh, spent three years there, worked my way up to GA, then went to Ohio Dominican as the running backs coach, special teams coordinator, was there in 16 for a year. Um, and then I uh, got an opportunity to go down to Elon University with uh, Kurt Signetti. Was there for two years in 17, 18. Was able to go down there and take over a program that was really down for, for a long time. They hadn't made the playoffs since 2009. Nothing but losing seasons. We were able to go in and change the culture and uh, immediately have a winning season. Their first year there, make the playoffs. Second year, go back to the playoffs. And in that second year, we actually um, pulled up one of the best upsets in college football to date. When we beat, I think we were like a 32-point underdog or something. We beat JMU at home. And then you fast forward, um, Mike Houston, who's a head coach, JMU gets the head coach job at ECU. And then the first person JMU calls is Kurt Signetti. And then he pretty much brings the entire staff up with him. So that's how I ended up here. That's incredible. Um, I teach seventh grade. I'm actually transitioning into eighth grade for next year. And uh, it's the PJ Fleck quote. Like people ask me all the time, Coach Tory, why don't you, why don't you go teach in high school? Why don't you go beyond that? And you said it earlier and you stole the words right out of my mouth. But, but the cliche that I use is that we're in the second chance business. So mm -hmm. in middle school, like you still have a huge opportunity to catch kids that maybe need a second chance. Mm -hmm. um, and not everyone's willing to give people a second chance. So I really appreciate hearing your story. It really touches home with why I'm doing this, uh, why I teach middle school. And it's just like PJ Fleck, you know, he was a sixth grade social studies teacher and that's just who we are at our core. So you really touched my heart when you talked about your middle school experience and how you had a mentor that was willing to stick his neck out for you to make sure that you stayed on the right path or at least had the opportunity to make better choices. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it's, it's funny because when I was younger, I didn't talk about it a lot because it was, you know, I didn't know any better. It was kind of embarrassing. Didn't tell anybody. I've gotten older. I've realized this is a testimony you know, to, to be able to, to, to share with fellow coaches and even some of my players. My players know the story too. And, you know, just being able to use that as an example of how you make mistakes is not about what happened. It's how you essentially respond to the mistakes that you've made. How can you grow from it? How do you move forward? And I mean, man, that, that, that was a very downtime in my life, but a very, very influential one at, at the same time. Yeah, you said something right there, how, you're, how you even tell your players. And I tell kids that I teach and that I coach all the time, I, I teach high school seniors. But I tell them a lot of like true life stories. I think a lot of times the kids see us as like, oh, they have it all figured out. They didn't, and we're, we make mistakes just like y'all do. We, we made them, we're just, we're older. And uh, you know, I think that's awesome that you're transparent with them and let them know, hey, I've had struggles. We've all had struggles. But let me tell you how you can turn those struggles and adversities into opportunities. Yeah. That's what's happened. And, uh, you know, I, I think about a lot of times right now, like a lot of kids that are playing high school sports for like, I'm thinking about our baseball team. I think about the track team that I coach, you know, there's a lot of like questioning in this adversity. They're not going to play their, their sport, but out of that comes some type of opportunity. Don't let that opportunity slip by of what this lesson is teaching you for something later in life. And, by you doing that with your guys, I mean, that just speaks to what kind of leader you are, um, not only in the coaching community, but as a leader of men. Yeah, 
I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, that's my why. They they are my why. Everything I do is for them. So anything I can do to to help in any kind of way. And, you know, everyone gets reached differently, right? And everyone's the same. So I, I literally use anything I can to reach. I might only be able to reach him, you know, but not might be able to reach the other guy. And I might reach him differently later on. But I'm trying to reach everybody. And I know that, you know, as always saying, especially you guys being teachers, we hoard this all the time when we're in school to become teachers. You're not going to be able to reach everybody. But if you can reach some of them, that's good. I've always said, forget that. I want to reach everybody. And I'll do whatever I can to make sure I reach everybody. Yeah. I I think that's so inspiring. And then, you know, the interesting part is people always ask me too. They're like, well, we need more, we need more coach Tory on our staff. No, we don't because that wouldn't do anybody any good. Like we all have our people that we're looking out for, right? Whether it's our position group or whether it's our grade level or whether it's just people that we have a different relationship with. Mm -hmm. And so an organization full of me won't help us grow. So we need everybody with their unique talents and their diverse personalities so that we can catch all those kids because I might not get them, but you might coach Merritt. And if I know that as a teacher, that's all that I need. And then I, you could be the point person going forward. And uh, when we talk about culture, because we're the culture classroom, that's what we're talking about, how we act, how we talk and how we treat each other. And uh, you're, you learned that at a very early age from other people that were uh, looking out for you. So I appreciated that. Yeah, for sure. I was just going to ask a little bit about um, Ohio State. So really appreciate what you said, how you're a high school coach. You're going to practice as much as you can. You're a sponge. You're trying to soak it all in. You've got these ideas on how to put it all in place. What was different about Urban Meyer and his staff at Ohio State? And, you know, above the line, and I'll just speak to our own coaching journey here for a minute. When I read above the line, that's really what started the conversation with our high school program of how to change our culture. The four to six A to B, the line of this is above the line, this is below the line behavior, the defining behaviors and, and what drives results. So what did you notice right away at Ohio State? What was different about what Urban Meyer was doing when you were there as an observer? Yeah, um, you know, it, it's a word that you hear all the time and, and it's such a, and I, I use this word religiously now with my guys, but everything he did was very intentional. Everything, everything had its purpose. Everything had a reason. There was a why behind it. And, you know, in, in building the program, it wasn't just all about X's and O's. And I'm sure you, you know, you guys heard him talk or read, read in his books that it's not all about X's and O's or, or being able to have this play, that play. It's really just about building the culture and going about building that culture being intentional in everything that you do, giving people a sense of purpose, uh, giving people a sense of ownership, starting with the coaches, you know, the nine units strong. And, uh, um, you know, then going on building leadership in your unit and so on and so forth. I, I think just seeing all of that and really seeing, because when I got there, it was his second year. So they had just gone 12-0 and 0 in 2012. That was the year they couldn't play in the postseason. And they hadn't quite – they, I guess to say the team was just kind of starting to figure it out. And you've heard him talk about that a little bit too from that 12 season. And you really saw the transition from 13 to 14 within the team um, really being able to take that next step. And, you know, um, when I think about as far as how everything was kind of in my mind, when I was a young coach at St. Charles, didn't know any better. I had this drill, I had this drill, I had that drill, I had this quote and, you know, whatever. And when I really think about it, looking back on it, I was like, I don't, 
what what was I really trying to get out of those? Was it just a quote because it sounded cool? I probably, you know, young and dumb. I don't know any better. You know, was this a drill because I saw it somewhere? It looks really cool. Let me do this drill, right? Oh, I saw this drill at some camp or I saw this drill online. Let's do this drill. But why am I really doing it? And the big thing there at, at, at Ohio State was being very intentional, very efficient, everything that you do, have a purpose in your drill work, how you go about drills, setting up, you know, any drills, having specific type drills that are tailored to what you're actually asking the, the players to do, as well as, you know, the drills that are just about working on fundamentals, even how you went about setting up the group periods, the team periods, how you go about teaching in the classroom. Um, he has a big uh, a phrasing he calls direct teaching, you know, which as teachers we can all appreciate. Don't just go up there and, and, and uh, open up, you know, the book and just read from it and hope that they take notes and figure it out. You know, engage them in, in how you're teaching them so that they can really maximize what they're learning. And then, you know, beyond that, how they also then applied the, um, the, the culture part, especially stuff that, that uh, BK did and, and Tim Kite did when they came in. We obviously had the E-plus articles all, um, you know, talk about the performance pathway. And, and the really big thing that we did going to 14 was talking about the brotherhood of trust and really working on um, building this, this culture of um, love and trust within the team, knowing that we trust each other, we're all holding each other accountable, we're all pushing each other to be better, starting from the top all the way down, and, and just really seeing that kind of matriculate um, was, was really um, eye-opening. Because prior to that, you kind of hear coaches always have their, their, their speeches and their talks. And um, even when I was in high school, even in college, you know, I had, I've always had really good coaches. And they've always talked, but kind of seeing from the other side of it how you were, we were essentially building a curriculum to teach the entire program, players, uh, you know, assistant coaches, support staff, everybody in the program, uh, what we're all trying to be about and coming together. And really just seeing how all of that work brought together really helped me um, have all these ideas I had kind of bring them together and, and uh, help me kind of develop my own um, path forward. Yeah, I go back and I'm thinking about that was your first, like how you went to the camps and that your first GA job, you win a national championship and you're seeing like all the experiences that you've had even when you were younger growing up and out progress through like I was when you just said you put a you put a quote on the board because it sounded cool and you did a drill because of that. Well now and, and as a GA and you did a lot as a GA I think right you were special teams, <clears throat> defensive back stuff. I mean you were oh. Yeah, I was I was primarily with the running backs and receivers, and I helped with the special teams yeah. um, a good amount. Yeah, yeah, and I just think it's really cool that you you had experiences, and then you're starting to learn how to in your first GA job how to funnel that stuff to mm -hmm. help you on your career uh, of being a, an elite coach now at the running back position, not just with drills and and your guys, your coach, but it's just like you're you're a leader in the coaching community, you know, and that's I, I think that it's awesome to where you know, and I I go back and I think about my first job, like holy cow, I was a GA at Delta State, and I didn't know what I was doing, right? <laughs> and uh, how it all goes forward uh, to where I am now, and 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 doing this thing with Coach Tory and, and just building relationships. I just think that's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's. 
it was incredible. I mean, you know, the things that they they do there and were really great. And it's taken off. You, you see a lot more people um, kind of promoting or talking about what they're doing. Obviously, most notably PJ Fleck. Um, but uh, you know, it's what's cool about it is you see it in places, and sometimes it might be um, different wording, but the message overall is pretty much the same. You know, even where I am now with Kurt Signetti, a lot of the things are very similar. You know, and he got. His, his dad was, is a Hall of Fame uh, head coach. Frank Sinetti coached at West Virginia and IUP up in Pennsylvania. So he's been around ball a long time. And then, you know, his last job before he became a head coach, he was with Nick Saban. When Nick Saban took over the Alabama program and built it to what it was. So his first four years, Saban's first four years, Kurt was there. So it's, it's cool to see the same message from somebody who's an elite coach himself, who worked under an elite coach, whose father was an elite coach. And now me working for one of the most elite coaches ever, you know, in my opinion, the, the most elite coach ever, and just seeing the correlation between the two. So we talked about the nine units strong. And for those of you that have read Above the Line, that's really the secret, right? Like you've got all these pots that the big message funnels back into and it starts in those nine units and it's up to those nine coaches to really own their unit. Um, coach, you talked about that earlier. What do you do to intentionally coach your unit now? So put, put on your James Madison um, lens to look through and uh, tell us what, what intentional things do you do to coach your running backs at, at JMU? Um, well, everything is very, very thought out. So, um, when, when I take over, when I took over the group, you know, I, I, I'm a very competitive guy by nature. I want to be the best and everything. And by me wanting to be the best, that means I want to have the best unit. And by best unit doesn't necessarily mean that we are the best on the field. I want us to be the best in the classroom, best people and everything. So, um, I, I think in order to do that, it requires a very different type of approach and when I was building it like especially this past summer I spent a lot of time in May um, when I was on the road in my hotel room kind of building um, this uh, presentation for my guys and curriculum essentially I spent all summer teaching this and I came down to what I just call an uncommon culture and uh, there's a, a quote that I actually saw um, when I was at a, a Clemson camp two summers ago um, but it's a, it's, um, it's a quote from somebody else. I think it's from uh, George Washington Carver. Um, anyways, it says, if you, want, if you do the common things in life in an uncommon way, you will command the attention of the world. So I've taken that quote and used that uncommon coach aspect, talking to my guys, look, I want us to be different. I want us to be uncommon. It's really easy to be like everybody else. It's really easy to be the guy that sits in the back of the classroom, put up headphones in, not paying attention. It's really easy to be the guy that shows up you know, late to meetings, it's really easy to follow the crowd. What I'm asking you guys to do is really hard. You know, what I'm going to ask you guys to do is very different. And it's not always going to be popular. You know, other people are going to want to go out and stay out late at night. And you might say, I, I can't, I, I have I have more important things to do. And you might get flack when that's all right. So I kind of took this whole uncommon, that uncommon word and built a culture around it. So in kind uh, in, in of hammering that away, kind of to begin with it with my guys the number one thing I preach to them is is brotherhood um it's important to me in our room that we all love and care for each other and it, it, it serves a multitude of things number one and when you all care and love for each other you have a lot of fun anyways but as far as just being able to hold each other accountable and I, and I kind of attribute it to having siblings 
You know, my brother and I, very competitive. I never wanted to see him fail, but I also don't ever want him to beat me. All right, so we're constantly pushing each other. We're playing one-on-one -on -one basketball or, or video games or whatever it might be, and I don't want to see him fail, but you're not going to beat me. So now we're just keep coming at each other, but at the same time, we're keep pushing each other to be better. And that can really be not just on the football field in my room, but also in life and, um, you know, in academics. So preaching this, this, this idea of brotherhood, care about each other, love for each other, starting from there. And then moving on within that same concept, now when you have this brotherhood, now you have an entire unit that really cares about each other. And they understand that in order for me to be successful, I need you and vice versa. We can't do this by ourselves. Now what you've built is a group that really works together, doesn't really care who gets the praise. All they want to do is do their part so they can help the team win a football game. And one of the things I'm most proud of um, in something that in the beginning that was, you know, encouraged and really demanded actually, kind of just took a hold, they kind of took it over, made it their own thing. I would say, look, as soon as, uh, as soon as one of our guys scores, go down and celebrate. Like you guys should be the first guys, our unit, you guys should be the first guys that he, that you, that he greets when he comes off the field. And in the beginning, it was always a like, because they're always standing right by me in the sideline. One guy's in the game, they always stand right behind me. Right. As soon as you score, I'd be like, go celebrate, go get him, go hug him, whatnot. And uh, then it kind of turned into, as the year went on, then they have started having all kinds of dances planned as soon as they came off the sideline and have all kinds of dances going on. And it really became a genuine thing. And uh, I think what's important about that is other units see that. And when you talk about being uncommon, you talk about uh, being an example. If you set a, you know, a good or bad example, people might follow your lead. So one of the great things about how we go about our business is we want to be able to set a great example so that other units look at us and say, man, I, I want what they have. And then now you're kind of, you know, being the example for these other guys. Maybe the receivers now start to do it. Maybe the linebackers now start to bond together. And all of a sudden you have nine units that are just really within their units are really strong and across units are really strong and to really uh, get the most out, out of each other. Um, and then, uh, you know, kind of within uh, the, the, the brotherhood, moving on from there, now talking about just how we go about our business, creating a, uh, uh, a, a culture of, of selflessness. And, and I have something that I just call EAT. And it just simply stands for effort, attitude, toughness. It has nothing to do with how many yards you run for. It has nothing to do with how many touchdowns you score. Because all of those things are individualized, right? So what I do is I reward them for the amount of EATs they get. And all the EATs are is something where they do that's – selfless act running like for example we're running inside zone to the left we throw a bubble to the right and my guy turns up field and tries to get on a pursuit angle or try to get the backside safety block because you never know that guy might break free right i think it's a selfless act your teammates see that and now your receiver knows man i remember when Juwan sprint 40 yards to get a safety you know for me so the next time maybe Juwan breaks a free run i'm 20 yards away now i'm hustling full speed to get out there and try to get a block I think stuff is like that. Stuff like that is very, very contagious. Um, so um, I, I spent last summer building this curriculum, um, and, and the, the number one thing I really started with is talking about focusing on the details and how every little detail matters in everything in your life. You know, and if you were focusing on every detail, that means you're very intentional with how your thoughts are and what you're thinking about and what you're doing. Understand everything has a purpose. No detail is too small. And one of my favorite videos 
um, that I show, I've showed the last three years, my two years at Elon and this past year, it's, uh, it's the uh, speech from um, Admiral McRaven at the, uh, at the Texas commencement talking about if you want to change the world. And in that, he obviously says, if you can't do the little things right, you'll never be able to do the big things right. And he talks about making his bet. And whenever I show that video, there's obviously a lot of good things in there. But the one thing I always focus on is making your bet. You know, I always tell them, like, think about how um, small of a task and how little effort it takes to make your bet. It probably takes 20 seconds. You know what I mean? No one's asking you to make your bed like how it's made in a hotel room or some fancy mansion. Just simply saying, make your bed, put your pillows where it's supposed to be, put, you know, make the blanket look nice and then go, go to class. It doesn't take very long. And I really take a part of that and talk about how the little details matter. And then I move on to how we're now going to be, you know, how that leads to being intentional in what you're doing. And it, you cannot have one without the other. If you don't care about the small details, you're not going to be intentional about what you're doing because now you're going to be like, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Don't care. I'm not thinking about it. And I want them to think about every little thing that they do. Um, the next part in that, in that curriculum, after talking about details, I really focused on, <coughs> excuse me. I really focused on um, talking about the difference being intentional and unintentional. And I simply just attributed being uncommon with uh, being intentional and being uh, common as just, you're just default driven. Um, so I'm talking to them about, all right, cool. Details are important. If you're very, very detailed, okay, you can be discipline driven. If, you, if, you're, if you're very disciplined in your life, you can be very intentional. If you're very intentional, you can really achieve and overcome anything that you come with. So I, I spend time talking about being intentional, being disciplined with your thoughts, with your words, with your actions. Um, that's something I learned from, from Tim Kite, Focus 3. I remember talking about that. I think it was in our Brotherhood of Trust uh, um, teaching back then, talking about how, how people can hear your words, feel your actions, you know, and, and uh, 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 feel your thoughts. And I really focus on, look, guys, if you're really intentional with how you go about your life, if you care about all the little details, right, and you can be now, and now you can be intentional in how you go about your life, you know what you're saying and why you're saying it, you're not just impulse reaction to something that happens, right? You know why you're responding and why you're doing something. It's not just an impulse reaction. Right? Even your thoughts, having positive thoughts instead of negative thoughts, right? Usually when something bad happens, there's a thought in our head, right? And that thought is either going to be negative or positive. So trying to teach them and condition them to be intentional with your thoughts so that when something negative happens, your first reaction in your mind to yourself isn't negative, rather it's positive, right? That's the press pause part that, that we get from focus. Um, I'm saying if you do all these things, you can be very uncommon. Right? And if you are, if you can be on common life, I think you can really, really have an impact on anybody that you're around. And going back to the beginning of it, all we want to do as a unit is have an impact on our team and on the community, right? Be really great teammates, be positive role models in the community, be really good students. I always tell them, fellas, understand this, as football players in college, we already have a bad reputation in schools anyway, right? A lot of professors can't stand us and think we're entitled. A lot of students think we're entitled. And, you know, some of, some of the thoughts may be rightfully so, but let's not give them a reason to, to, to enhance that or to strengthen those thoughts. Let's be different. Um, so uh, uh, I spent a lot of time on that throughout the year. I usually have a quote um, at the end of the week and I have my tip sheets and tests. There's a quote in there. And, you know, the change from back in the day when I just had quotes because they sounded cool. Now when I, I spend sometimes hours or two hours looking for the right quote, and the quote is usually tie, tied into 
our culture is something about staying in the moment, controlling the controllables, which is something we talk about all the time, or it's about giving maximum effort, or it's kind of tied into the message from the head coach, which 99.9% of the time is the same message I'm preaching anyways. Um, so I'm very intentional of how I get to those. And, uh, and then throughout the week, they hear me all the time. Every single day when they walk in the room, the very first thing that's on the screen is just the word uncommon, and that's it. Kind of talk about it over and over and over again. They see it over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, having done this now for the first year, I'm really excited to get into the second year. This, our sport that, that we love is, is there's such a carrier over the real life and everyday life. And, you know, and, and us being not just coaches, but really mentors, we're always trying to find ways to, to bring them both together. And, you know, I, I think in, in building this uncommon culture, like you said, my, my hope and my only, really only thing I want for them more than any, I don't care if, Juwan has ever another yard. I just want him to be able to, to be a great person in society and be able to, to grow as a person and be the person that he wants to be. And uh, I think that's the most important part. But the biggest thing to, to keep in mind, you know, um, within this, it's not easy to build. And it takes time, especially a lot of times you're building this when you're new, right? Um, or maybe you are kind of going back and pressing reset with your current group that you already have. And it's new to them. So you can't just um, do it one time and then expect them just to take hold of it and run of it. it. It takes time. It takes work. There's going to be some pushback at times. There's going to be times where um, they may not necessarily agree. But I, I think the key is to always to find those teachable moments in the moment to be able to show them, hey, this is what it is I'm talking about, whether it's a positive or a negative thing. And to really to give them most experience. Because at the end of the day, these kids respond to experiences more than anything else. So the more of those you can find those real life experiences, especially when it happens in the moment, use those as, as those teachable moments that help uh, um, uh, solidify what you're talking about. Well, coach, you mentioned earlier about the importance of trust and anyone who's around other people, whether it's a marriage or whether it's your family or whether it's an organization that you care deeply for or a team like we have in sports, everything uh, all the goals of the organization or all the goals of the unit come down to trust. And so much of trust is built through a relationship. How do you build relationships with kids that come from all kinds of backgrounds that you are selling to get at James Madison, um, the whole recruiting process? How do you get kids to really trust you and buy into who you are so that they come to James Madison and have a great experience? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a great question. And it's, it's, a, it's a very... It's a big one, you know. To me, trust is earned, not given. I know that's a cliche, but what's big to me in that is it goes both ways. Understanding, you know, especially sometimes, especially in the old ways of thinking, you know, um, I'm a little bit of an old school head, even though I'm pretty young. You know, back in the day, I was like, well, they just have to trust me because I'm their coach. And that's not always the case, you know, especially not today with how kids are. So building that trust both ways is key. And, and I think the best way to do that is just by the experiences. You don't build trust with somebody just with, the first phone call when I talk to a recruit, we do, he doesn't trust me immediately after one phone call. You know, um, with my players, they don't just trust me immediately because I told them one time, I, you know, hey, you can trust me. It's the continued experiences over time that you create, you know, something as simple as, you know, knowing what's going on in, in their personal life, knowing about their girlfriend. Maybe there's problems or whatnot. Being able to, to lend a hand of advice, you know, checking in the family, knowing what their family's doing, you know, um, asking them questions about them not talking about football. I'm really big on not talking about ball quite a bit um, with recruits as well as with my players. Um, 
for example, um, we FaceTime once a week as a group um, right now where it's not, we literally just get on there and it's a 10 minute, 15 minutes of just shenanigans. It's just us talking, they're kind of roasting each other. Sometimes they pick on me, I pick on one of them. We're just kind of just having fun, just just being being a family, you know? Um, and, I, and I think as you, as you build that in the beginning, you're just trying to create those experiences for them where you can have those moments uh, where you show them that they can trust you. And it's going to take time with someone who'll come faster than the others. You know, one of the, uh, I'll give an example. Um, one of the ways they did with uh, one of my running backs, for example, is uh, um, he was very, when I first got, he was very, um, one a pleaser, right? And every single time, like, if he made a mistake, he would just have a meltdown almost. He's like, coach, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I missed that block. Oh, I'm so sorry I missed that, missed that, that cut on that run. You know, and to me, those right there are moments where you can really experience this, you can build trust, you know, and how you respond to it. If he makes a mistake, you can either be the guy that yells at them for making a mistake or find a better way to approach it, right? Or even when he approaches you about it, he's kind of nervous about it or apologetic that he made a mistake, you know, what is your response to that? Are you saying don't make excuses or not? Or do you just simply try to say, hey, we'll figure it out? And one of the things I, I made sure to do in the beginning, I was like, look, it's, it's all good if you make a mistake. I'm not worried about it. We're worried about it. We'll go to the next play. We'll make the correction on film later. As long as you give great effort, it's all I care about. And to that, that gave him a positive experience. You know, okay, cool. I can go really hard. If I make a mistake, coach is not going to lose it, right? And, I, and that gives him a, a positive feeling. And, uh, you know, there'll be other times where, um, for example, in, in the beginning, you know, and in, in, I caught one of my guys in a lie. And, um, you know, I think in the beginning it's normal. It was a white lie. It wasn't anything serious. And instead of me losing my mind about it, again, it's just like, hey, man, like, why lie about it? You know what I mean? Just be honest. Like, I'd rather you tell me this than not, again, creating a positive experience. I think things like that are, are really important. And, uh, you know, in, within the group, not creating an environment of fear, but more environment of belief and love and care. And at the root of all of this is that word care and love. They have to know that you care about them and love them. You can tell them over and over again, but they have to be able to feel that. And they can feel that by some of those experiences I talked about. They can feel that by how, um, how uh, you treat them when things go well, for example. Like um, one of the things I didn't mention earlier is when my guys go and meet someone, whoever just scored a touchdown, the very next thing after that is once the dust kind of settles, all the other teammates are saying, hey, congrats. I hug all of my players after they, after they come off the field, after they make a touchdown or after they score a touchdown. Even if they come off the field after a big play, I say, hey, good job. You know what I mean? If it's a bad play or whatnot, I say, we'll get it corrected later on. You know, they really know that the only things I really get PO'd about is a lack of effort, you know what I mean, or just recklessness. If they're carrying the ball out to the side and they fumble it, I'm probably going to lose it, but they're not carrying the ball the right way. If they carry the ball the right way, the defense guy made an unbelievable play and he puts it on the ground, we'll get, we'll get it fixed. Don't worry about it. Let's, let's move on. You know what I mean? So creating experiences for them is the number one way, in my opinion, to build trust. Again, with the use of technology, I think it's been pretty easy. You know, I, I FaceTime my guys on the regular, um, whether it's my guys that are currently here, even the, the incoming recruits, you know. Luckily, um, the NCAA permits us to um, have a FaceTime chat with everybody, even the incoming recruits, as long as I'm not talking ball. So um, we ha I have three guys coming in, a, a scholarship guy and two preferred walk-ons. So I've been able to incorporate them in, in our, our weekly FaceTime meetings, sessions, just to, number one, get them 
you know, kind of familiar with the group and kind of trying to continue to build those relationships. And then even on my own, I check on them, you know, if not daily, every other day. Um, some I check on more than others. Um, and some of it is also just kind of knowing your guys. You know, some guys, they appreciate you checking on them, but don't, they don't want you to call them every day, right? And there's some guys that you can't call every day because you just have that type of relationship with. So I have some that I talk to every day. I have some I talk to every other day, but staying in touch with them as much as possible, just seeing how they're doing. And, uh, you know, also um, still trying to teach them and mentor them. The one thing I've been telling my guys, especially these last two weeks, is we've been in this shelter at home now forever. You know, everyone kind of has a routine. I know you guys have online school to do. And then when you guys are done, you find time to work out and then you all hop on a video game, right? I want you all to find something different to do. Even if it's just an hour a day, 30 minutes a day, find something that's completely different as you normally wouldn't do. I mean, maybe for some of you, it's to read a book. You know, I know for some of you, it's, uh, you probably haven't picked up a Bible in forever. You know, like I know one thing for me is like I want to read some more scripture on, on a more regular basis. You know, if someone's maybe be a learn a new skill, I don't know what it, but do something different, you know, so um, just staying in touch with them on the regular to keep those relationships going. And uh, I think the, the best part for all of them, and I can see it on their faces when we're all together in those, uh, those clown shows, essentially, um, is they're all, I can see the smile on their face because it's good. Just everyone's together. Their brothers together. We're in this, in this chat room on FaceTime and, uh, I think that's been very beneficial. It really is. But yeah. as long as you know, some of them, the, the add on that real quick, just the biggest thing is to continue to show them that love. And some of them need that too. And some of these, some of them have bad home lives, as you know. You know, I know for some of your high school kids, you know, you probably have more uh, in, in terms of the sheer numbers than we do. But just knowing that some of the kids can really appreciate just hearing from us, you know, and just being like, hey, man, how you doing? Is everything good? You know, if you need anything, call me, you know. Um, I tell my guys I love them. I, you know, I, I think it was important. Some of these kids don't hear it. You know, there are kids, I've had kids in the past that have never had a male figure tell them, hey, I mean, I love you, you know? So I think those things are important to, to continue to help them. Yeah, I really liked what you said too about learning a new skill. That's one of the things that I try to push out to my middle school kids when I send them a YouTube message or when I post on Canvas, that's our learning management system. Um, is I really want them to learn something during this time. And yeah, we want to watch movies and play games and take time with our family, all that too. But um, I think the difference maker is going to be because we're all shut down right now, we're all in this situation, is that some people are going to emerge from this time better off than other people. And I think that's really important for kids to hear is that they can emerge as one of those better people from this experience because this is a once in a lifetime deal. This isn't gonna happen every year. Um, I think the other interesting piece that Coach Weaver, you hit on a little bit is I was talking to a retiree uh, just on the phone last week and she's having a hard time. You know, can't imagine this being your last year of school and then having it cut short the way that it is and really struggling mentally with that um, after being in the business for 35, 40 years. And then this is how you go out. and. It's, it reminds me of where you would be right now, Coach, is you're, you'd be in the middle of spring ball. We'd, we'd be getting ready for spring games. Uh, kids would be excited for one more chance to showcase themselves, maybe to move up on the depth chart, depending on how they perform uh, from everything they did up from the fall to the winter to, to the spring. And we're not ready yet, right? Like, I'm not exhausted. Uh, a lot of colleagues are saying, oh, it feels like summer. I'm in summer mode already. And I'm not because... 
I'm tired when summer comes, you know, that last day in May is a celebration because of all the work that I put in from August to that point, And I'm ready for a break. And when we stop in March, my body's not there yet, right? Like I've got more to give. And unfortunately we can't at this point. So I really appreciate hearing some of those themes and what you're saying too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's funny you say that because, Right. Usually at the end of this, at the end of spring, you're exhausted. Like for us, we would have had our spring game this past Saturday and we'd be on the road recruiting. And usually I enjoy going on the road recruiting and sitting with, with you guys, the high school coaches and meeting people. But usually, you know, by the end of it, after my 15, 16 days on the road, I'm dead tired, like just dead tired. I don't want to be in a car anymore. This is awful. You know, and I, I, you're right, I don't feel that way. I feel like I have too much energy right now. And, you know, I'm just, trying to figure it out day by day, but the key is just to control the controllable. And uh, you know, I tell my kids that all the time, just control the controllable. You know, I know there's a lot of uncertain right now and we don't know what's going on. We want football back and this, but focus on what you can control, you know, one day at a time and you'll be all right. Just keep in mind that you have to be able to be, you can't preach all of this culture stuff and what you want to do your kids and not live it yourself. You know, so it's really important, you know, for everyone to understand that you cannot show what you don't want your kids to, to show. You know what I mean? So, yeah, are we frustrated at times? Sure. Are we as coaches discouraged at times? Sure. But you cannot uh, show that to them. You know, it's okay to show. I'm, I'm unsure, but we're going to be able to get through this. And telling them, look, just control what you can control. Don't get down on yourself. Don't get upset. You know, don't let it affect you. But you as your coach have to do it. I can't tell them, hey, control the control when they get on Twitter and get all negative about what's going on with COVID-19 and I don't know what's going to happen and I'm so uncertain because then they're not going to say, coach, well, you just told me to, to be positive and be okay, but you're over here complaining. So what's, what's the deal? All right. So that leads into our next question or my next question. And uh, we're, of course, winding down here to your caring trademark, what makes you a little bit different. But before we go there, coach, I want you to envision – that it's the first day of fall camp 2020. You haven't seen any players because of this COVID-19 stuff. Tell us what's the first thing you're going to do to celebrate the people in the room and just being back. How are you going to take the lid off this deal? <laughs> oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, just to entertain them, I'll probably have some old school songs uh, playing where I'll probably do some dance for them to kind of make them laugh. Uh, they always tell me I can't dance, and I always tell them one day I will. So that might be the perfect opportunity to do that. Um, no but just come, no TikToks coming out of your uh, living room. No, 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 no TikToks. Here. I'll just save that for them. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just just to show them that you know, excited just to have them back, and you know, I'm sure they'll all get they'll, they'll all get big hugs from me, and and uh, I'm sure they'll all hug each other too. But, you know, just just that man, just to have positive energy. So then what's your go-to feel-good song for those situations? I mean, I'm a big Tupac guy, so California Love goes right to the top of the list. There might be some others in there, but uh, what's your go-to feel-good? Man, I, I have quite a bit, but one of my favorite songs, and no matter what mood I'm in, uh, this song comes on, I feel good. And it actually was the entrance song to me and my wife's uh, wedding when we walked in after we got married. It's a song by Zapp and Roger, More Bounce to the Ounce. And uh, when that song comes on, it's, I don't know what it is about it, but good mood instantly. That is a good mood instantly. So that's actually my go-to.
It's awesome. Well, in the classroom today has been Coach Matt Merritt, the running backs coach for James Madison University. Coach, we wish you well here um, as this whole COVID-19 stuff ends and we get back to a normal life uh, and football and sports start to resume also hopefully in the, in the near future. What's your one caring trademark? Something that makes you a little bit different. The whole episode you've been talking to us about being uncommon, about creating a culture that's intentional. Give us one part of you that's intentional in how you show others that you care about them. Um, huh. I think something that, that really helps me, I, I'm really good at relating to people. And I think that comes from my diverse upbringing, grew up in Germany. Went to international school. We have 64 uh, different nations represented there. Um, I can speak multiple languages. I've been in, in, in kind of put in different cultures from all around the world. I, I, the town I grew up in Germany was a small town. I had like 4,000 people living there. The city I lived in in Brussels was a huge metropolitan city. It had 2 million people living in there. When I moved to the States, I lived in suburbia, suburbia America. My dad's from inner city Detroit. I have all these experiences that really just kind of helped me um, understand people. I'm really good at feeling energy in the sense that I can understand when somebody's going through something. And uh, I've been blessed to be able to reach out to guys when something is wrong without them saying anything or giving them any indication. And they're kind of like, coach, it's crazy that, you know, you're asking about that because I'm actually, I'm actually feeling pretty down, um, you know, or something is going on. So, and I, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's other people around the country that can that have can do that too, but it's something I'm very proud of, just being able to be able to tap into the inside of, of my guys, really, really, truly understand where they're coming from and what they're going through and, and being able to relate. I think, or I know a lot of it is because of my background and the diverse background uh, upbringing I've had. Yeah, it does, man. Uh, I, I appreciate you having me on, man. It's exciting. I, I can talk about culture stuff all more than X's and O's. And I love football. I love the X's and O's part, but yeah. the culture stuff is, is really, I love and I appreciate what you guys do and appreciate you being able to provide a platform for this and having me on to, to talk to you guys. It's been fun. Man.